Last few weeks, other than the week before Christmas, we were discussing seeking to reach our world of influence with the gospel and would encourage you again to be seeking to be sensitive to those in your severe of influence, whether it be a neighbor, whether it be a co-worker, whether it be someone you meet shopping, someone in your family that is an unbeliever, to be sensitive to open doors that God might give you to share concerning Christ and what Christ has done. We also live in a world that many times may have different views, different philosophies and thinking than we do. And we, again, need to be sought and light and ambassadors on how we live and how we respond. And one of those areas that is present in our world is the issue of abortion. And as we think about that this morning, I have some thought questions that I would like you to respond to mentally, not desiring for you to respond verbally. First of all, do you agree or disagree? Life has no beginning and no end. Just think about it. Do you agree or disagree? Life has no beginning and no end. Next one. Life does not begin at conception or birth. Do you agree or disagree? Again, just think about it. Life does not begin at conception or birth. Another one. Human life in a physical body had a beginning, but it has no end. Human life in a physical body had a beginning, but has no end. Do you agree or disagree? Another one. Is the core question in the abortion debate when life begins? Is the core question in the abortion debate when life begins? Question. Is the very root of abortion, the abortion debate, the issue of authority? God or humans? Can we expect America to continue as a nation when we take the lives of over one million individuals each year through abortion? This week and last week, I know I'd mentioned I'll take one week in abortion as I considered scripture and so on. I thought I need two weeks. So this week and next week, we'll consider the issue of abortion. And the, what I'm presenting this morning is not something that I have studied and come to conclusions in the last week or two. There's another pastor in the area who has since gone to be with the Lord, Tom Bonham, who years ago called me one day and said, hey, Dan, I have some things I would like to talk to you about. And he stopped in and we batted a number of issues around concerning life and death and abortion and so on. And a couple years later, he gave me another call and he said, I wrote something. I sa he said, can I stop in again? I just want to discuss some things with you. So he stopped in and showed me what he wrote and he said, keep it, read it. Before I get it printed, I want to get some feedback. So I read that and I responded to him. And then did some more study and thinking over the years. And what I'm sharing this morning and next week comes from that along with just reading and interacting with people.
some assumptions that I am operating under. First one, there is no need to attempt to win a debate or prove someone wrong. There is no need to attempt to win a debate or prove someone wrong. That's not why we're discussing this. It's to think as God would think and to be sought in light in the world in which we live. If we're out to prove someone wrong and win a debate, we have ceased to be sought in light because we've already alienated. Thinking biblically and helping others to think correctly, yes. Life is central to the abortion debate. Not when does life begin. Life is central. Not when does life begin. One's source of authority determines one's beliefs or conclusion. What one's source of authority is will determine, you know, their beliefs or conclusions. That's the way it is. People are going to come to a different conclusion than you. I wouldn't be overly alarmed. Maybe discuss some other things as we'll touch on either later this morning or next week. Scripture is sufficient. I'm sorry. Abortion is not an issue of correct facts, but really a moral choice and an issue of faith. You can give someone all the facts concerning abortion and they may still be convinced in a certain direction. Now we're dealing with moral choice. We're dealing with faith. Scripture is sufficient for coming to conclusion concerning abortion. And as we look at various scriptures, I want to also say that I've considered the context of verses and passages, even though I may not mention the context, I may not mention the passage, but I've carefully considered its context and try to make sure any scripture I used is used in the proper context, not using it as a proof text of something that I think, you know, is correct. Let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and according to verse 14, we know that the Word is referring to Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. John is going to conclude when he gets to the end of the book that he wants people to understand that Christ is deity in a human body, and it's through him that there can be life. And as you look at John chapter 1, along with some parallel passages, but we only read John 1, God, Christ, is or are, and the reason I say is, God is, Christ is, or God and Christ are, life. God, Christ, are life. 
Now go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. In a book where the writer of Hebrews is seeking to talk about the fact that true faith perseveres and that Christ is better than Moses, Aaron, the prophets, and so on. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. Hebrews 1 and verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he had in, has inherited is superior to theirs. Now notice in verse 2. In these last days he has spoken to us by his son through or whom he, God, appointed heir of all things, and through whom he, God, made the universe. When we think of creation, when we think of the universe, God, Christ, our creator. God, Christ, is our, depends on how you want to use it, creator. Very, very significant. In Genesis chapter 21, and you don't need to turn there, the Lord, in speaking to Abraham, talks about the fact that he is eternal or everlasting. In Exodus chapter 3, as he is calling Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, we find there again that the Lord said to Moses when, or Moses said, who shall I say sent me? And the Lord said, I am. Has sent you. But let's turn to Psalm 90 and verse 2. Psalm 90 and verse 2. Psalm 90 and verse 2. And we'll start with verse 1. A prayer of Moses. Psalm 90 and verse 1. Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then he goes on to describe things that God has done. From everlasting... To everlasting, you are God. Go to Revelation chapter 1. The last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 1. Now keep in mind that the book of Revelation is revelation. It's the revelation, the uncovering, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And in that context, verse 8 of Revelation chapter 1. I, 
Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. Alpha, Omega, beginning and end, who is, who was, who is to come. Go over to chapter 4, where we have a heavenly scene, a worship taking place. Revelation 4 and verse 8. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under her or his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. God, Christ, our sovereign eternal. Their life, they are creator, and they're eternal. Always was, always is, always will be. Now let's turn to Psalm 135. Psalm 135. Again, I know we're moving around to a variety of passages. As I said, I did consider their context. But Psalm 135. <clears throat> Psalm 135. Begin reading with verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him, you servants of the Lord. You who minister in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to the, his name, for that is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own, Israel to be his treasured possession. I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in heaven, or in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and in their depths. He makes cloud rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain, and brings out the wind from his storehouses. We won't turn to Romans 9, but we could turn to Romans 9 and other passages. And we'll find that Christ, God, are sovereign. They're independent. They're self-existing. They need no one and no thing to exist. Always were and need no one and no thing to exist. Now let's go back to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2. And we'll begin reading with verse 4. Genesis 2 and verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man 
from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. God, Christ, who are life, who are creator, who are eternal, who are sovereign and independent. Gave life to Adam's physical body at creation. It was not new life, but life from God, life from Christ. But yet, in a different form, in the sense that life was given to a human body. God, Christ, gave Adam's physical body life. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Life, God, gave life to the physical body of Adam that he formed. Now go back to Genesis 1 and verse 28. Genesis 1 and verse 28 on day six of creation. After the animals and the plants and so on, the birds of the air had been created. In verse 28 it says of Genesis 1, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, created in God's image. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air. And over every living creature that moves. On the ground. There is a marked difference between human life and animal life and plant life. The man, the woman, were created in the image of God. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, he created them. A difference between animal, plant life, and human life in the sense that there is humans are created in the image of God. Now as you look at Genesis 1, 26 through 28, then go over to chapter 4 and verse 1. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. I go back, or go to chapter 5 and verse 1. This is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, they were called, or called them man. 
When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. There is no additional physical life directly from God, from Christ, after Adam. Only reproduction by living humans. There is not God breathing into the person who is conceived. Rather, you have a living man, a living woman, being instrumental in continuing their life. Now go back to Genesis 1 and 28. Genesis 1 and verse 28. And God blessed them and said to them, to the man and to the woman that he had created in his image, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Bless them, be fruitful, and increase in number. We're not going to be turning there, but in Psalm 139, the psalmist talks about you know, when he was formed in secret, when he was formed within his mother. Now I want you to think about a statement here and ponder it. Conception is not new life, but a living egg and living sperm coming together to form a unique, one-of-a-kind individual. Life is not new in the individual, but a continuing life in a new physical body. When does life begin, at conception or at birth? No. Life always was, because God is eternal. God in his eternality chose to create humans with a physical body. He created Adam with a physical body, breathed into him the breath of life, took Eve from his rib, and Adam and Eve are commanded to do what? Be fruitful and increase number. A living egg, a living cell from Adam and Eve... What do we have? Seth, Cain, Abel, and probably other children. Abraham and Sarah, a living egg, a living sperm, come together to form a unique individual. Life does not begin at conception because you have two living things coming together. Life does not begin at birth because you have two living things coming together. So, when we talk about abortion, when does life begin? A better question would be, where did life come from? We're not taking a dead egg and a dead sperm and bringing them together and God gives them life. We're taking a living sperm, a living egg, and bringing them together to form a unique, in, unique individual. Now, in Genesis 128, which we read, 
And Psalm 139, as I said, my contention would be that life does not begin at conception. Rather, a unique individual is conceived from living beings. Life continues or is reproduced. that changes some things that we seek to do as it relates to abortion and maybe winning a debate. Why try to win a debate? There's some other areas that maybe we should address which we'll get to next week. Look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Genesis 2 and verse 7. What is being stated? The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. And I'm not discussing living being and its definition this morning, but man became a living being because God, who is life, Christ who is life, breathed into him the breath of life. Now go over to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. <clears throat> the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Verse 3, through him, through Christ, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him, in Christ, was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. My contention in light of scripture is that only life can produce life. There is no new life since life God, Christ, are eternal. Yet a new individual, but not new life. Yes, Aaliyah was born. She was conceived. But she's not new life. Life from Jason, life from Naomi, came together to form a unique individual. Two Living items come together to form a new, yes, a new person, a new, new unique individual, but life. So did life begin at your conception or Aaliyah's conception? No, it continued. Life continued. There's reproduction, Genesis 1, verse 28. I'm going to make another statement and we'll address it next week. We won't look at the scripture now. <clears throat> you can ponder this. Life never begins, nor does it end. God, Christ, lived 
and are eternal. Life in a physical body began in Adam. That is, life was given by God, Christ, to a physical body. The physical body that God, Christ, created. Physical life can be taken temporarily, but the body will be raised. The person never dies. And again, we'll look at some scripture next week in that context. Now, as we think about living in our world, we live in a world that, since the beginning of time, has chosen to abort babies. It's not unique to the time period in which we live. And we can get on a bandwagon and create all kinds of ruckus concerning abortion. My challenge to us is to stop and ponder and think. Let scripture speak. Let Christ dwell in us. Let his spirit work through us. That as we relate to people in our severes of influence, that we think biblically and respond biblically. So the question of, when does life begin? At birth or conception? Neither. The eternal God, the eternal Christ, who our life chose to create Adam and breathe into him the breath of life. He became a living being. They took Eve from Adam's rib and from those two, life, living egg, living cell, another new unique being, but coming from living egg and living cell and their whole reproduction process goes on down through the ages. See, the issue is not where does life come from? I'm sorry, when does life begin, but where does it come from? And part of the reason we've had a debate on abortion down through the ages is because who we consider our source of authority. So when someone don't agree with you on your view of abortion, the bottom line is probably the source of authority. You know, what are you basing your beliefs on? So I would encourage you to take what I've shared to this point this morning. Think, ponder. We'll give some opportunity for some interaction, questions and so on next Sunday morning as we seek to think and live in our world in a godly manner. Not out to win, but out to point people to Jesus Christ into a relationship with God through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I may win an argument, but have I displayed Christ? We're not out to win. We're out to let Christ's life in us.
be seen as his spirit works in us, as we day by day go to jobs, go to school, shop, drive, praying that God will open doors of opportunity to verbalize the message of Jesus Christ. As we seek to do that in our day-by-day living, I would encourage you to attend tonight as we interact with some scripture concerning Creator God and our faith. Encourage you also to consider attending Wednesday evening, teens, Awana, and adult prayer and Bible study. And as we do each week, we pass out a sheet called Home Discipleship. Encourage you to take that, use it, either individually, as a couple, as a family, if you don't have some pattern that you're using as you seek to relate to God and to Christ day by day.